Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Discovery. Time flies when you're learning super cool stuff. I'm Nate. And I'm Callie. If you're dropping in for the first time, welcome to Curiosity, where we aim to blow your mind by helping you to grow your mind. If you're a loyal listener, welcome back. Today, you'll learn about a new process that could turn plastic waste and CO2 into lipstick, how cold and flu season is indifferent, you are, and a way to turn the forest into farmland without cutting down trees. Without further ado, let's satisfy some curiosity. If I were to ask you about the best way to reduce the 400 million tons of plastic we create every year, what would you say? I'd say that's a lot, but uh, reduce, reuse, recycle? Well, according to a team out of the University of Cambridge, there might be a different solution. But let's talk about that old refrain for a minute. It turns out that we produced such a small amount of plastics between the 1950s and the 1970s that it was pretty easy to manage it all. But between the 70s and the 90s, we more than tripled production, and everyone started to notice plastic waste hanging out kind of everywhere you looked. And then in the 2000s, plastic waste rose more in a single decade than it had in 40 years. I guess you're trying to say that reducing isn't working. It's really not even close. All right, but recycling programs have worked, right? You'd think, but no. Of that 7 billion tons we've made since we've started producing plastic, only about 10% has been recycled. And recycling is expensive, it's dirty, and it actually degrades the plastic to the point where it eventually becomes useless. Okay, so reusing. that That's our final answer. Maybe, but not in the way you think. The truth is, single-use plastic is exploding. Packaging, food containers, all the stuff that just isn't meant to be used more than once. And 85% of that ends up in the landfill. Okay, I gotta be honest, this is not the happiest story we've ever done. <laughs> well, enter Professor Erwin Reisner and his team at Cambridge. They looked at the reuse part of the equation from a different angle. Because if you think about it, 400 million tons of anything produced every year is a lot of stuff to just throw away. What if instead of seeing that as waste, you saw it as a commodity? <laughs> All right, who's buying a bunch of trash? That's where this gets pretty cool. Their team has developed a process that uses solar power to convert both plastic and CO2 waste into syngas, which is a key component of sustainable fuels like hydrogen and something called glycolic acid, which is used in cosmetics. So turning plastic and CO2 into lipstick. And sustainable fuel. All right, how does it work? That's where the revolution begins, because the plastic industry has figured out other ways to convert plastics into other things. They call it chemical recycling. You can use additives to change the chemical composition of plastic to turn it into raw materials like petrol and diesel gas. But it's expensive to do and super inefficient. Professor Reisner's team not only figured out how to convert plastic into other usable products using solar power, their process converts two different wastes, plastics and CO2, at the same time. That's a first, and it's a potential game changer. Other solar tech exists that can do one or the other, but not both. Okay, so it gets rid of plastic and CO2 and creates two different products. All with the power of the sun. What's more, the process uses catalysts that accelerate a chemical reaction that allows it to be done at room pressure and room temperature. In other words, it's a clean process, unlike most recycling. So, problem solved? Not quite. They are still several years away from building a recycling plant that uses this process at scale. And in the meantime, our use of plastics is expected to triple again by 2060. 
But I got to say, this does seem like a very good sign of things to come. All right. I'll drink to that out of my reusable cup, of course. Of course. <laughs> so does this flu season seem super bad to you? Yeah, like, it's it's awful. Like, a friend of mine just got the nastiest cold he's ever had. And, and they tested, and it wasn't COVID, but he said he felt like it was. and just laid him out for several days. Yeah, that kind of seems to be the refrain lately. And it seems like everyone's getting it. So what's the deal? Did the pandemic supercharge the common cold? It turns out colds are just the same. It's us who are different. Or, to put it another way, we just forgot that colds suck. <laughs> We are weak. <laughs> we like, are it, weak. Seems like, it seems like these colds are so bad. I know, but they've always been so bad. Before the pandemic, the average adult caught two or three colds a year. That is a small percentage of the more than 200 viruses known to cause illnesses. Sometimes they're so mild they just feel like allergies, but other times they're the kind of lay-you-out sickness that's been going around lately. There's RSV, adenovirus, parainfluenza, and the list just goes on. But guess what happened during the pandemic? We didn't get out much, did we? Nope. We were isolated. We stayed away from all those places like the office, the subway. Childcare. Oh my gosh, schools and daycare. Yes, just ground zero for catching coughs. So we just didn't get sick as often as we usually do. Yeah. And some experts say that we just sort of forgot what it felt like to have a nasty cold. Plus, there's the fact that we are now hyper aware of every sneeze and sniffle and cough around us in a hundred mile radius. COVID put us on guard, and that just put us on edge. The first thing that, like, anyone says if they sneeze or cough these days. It's not COVID. <laughs> exactly. So, like, what about our immune systems? It seems like maybe we'd be more vulnerable now, you know, since we've gone a few seasons with fewer infections. It would seem that way, but while that might play a minor role, the truth is that there are so many viruses out there that immunity doesn't really figure into it. Experts say that our bodies will actually build up a defense after fighting off a particular strain that could last years, while other viruses don't have any immunity at all. But we could get knocked out a dozen times in a few years from a dozen different viruses. So even though my friends and family are like single-handedly keeping the tissue industry afloat, <laughs> this cold and flu season isn't any worse than before? Mm, probably not. Uh, I can't really decide if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Like, on one hand, it's not as bad as we thought, but on the other hand, we forgot how bad it actually is. <laughs> well, just in case you've forgotten this, doctors say that if you have symptoms, cover your coughs with your elbow, wash your hands often, and try to keep your sneezes to yourself. Okay, so in other words, just everything we learned in kindergarten is still true. Yeah, share, play nice, and colds are normal. <laughs> I've got the black lung paw. Researchers at the University of Stirling in the UK are calling on farmers to feed millions and save the world from climate change by planting forests in the fields where they grow their crops. Wait a sec. Okay, if their fields are full of forests, how will they grow food? They will grow mushrooms. Okay, can I be honest? Those are some big claims for a little fungi. Uh, that's what I thought, but <laughs> the potential for what they're proposing is actually massive. Before we talk about mushrooms, let's talk a little bit about climate change. Uh, yep, I've heard of it. <laughs> yeah, turns out it's a big deal. And joking aside, we have talked about climate change on this show several times before. We know that so much of the issue of climate change is caused by CO2, mostly from the burning of fossil fuels. And we know that forests absorb CO2. By some estimates, American forests store over 850 million metric tons of carbon dioxide a year, enough to offset emissions from 50 million vehicles. 
So that's a lot of CO2. So we need more forests. Yes, and there's been a global push for that. People are planting trees everywhere, but we're still losing forest area every year. Do you have any guesses why? Um, I'm going to put my money with development and farmland. Good choice. As the population of the planet grows, there's more folks who need homes and more mouths to feed. And the thing is, agriculture adds more CO2 to the atmosphere than it takes out by a lot. Plus, most farming uses monocrop practices, which is the planting of a single crop among acres and acres of farmland. This can have harsh impacts on soil and lead to chemical runoff that gets into rivers and streams. And that causes dead zones, and we've talked about that on the show before. Bingo. So, honorary professor Paul Thomas at the University of Sterling and his colleague, Professor Alistair Jump, looked at the problem from a new angle. What if you could grow food that actually increased biodiversity and fed millions of people while also removing CO2 from the atmosphere? So, mushrooms? Edible ectomycorrhizal fungi, or EMF, could suck up almost 13 tons of carbon per hectare every year. And the forests that have been planted in the past 10 years alone would have been enough to feed nearly 19 million people. It's a practice called mycoforestry. So then there's the obvious question, like, what if you're like a lot of people I know who don't like mushrooms? Hey, I'm one of those people. (laughs) I thought you might ask that. It turns out you don't have to like mushrooms to enjoy their benefits. Fungi is the second largest group of organisms on Earth, right behind insects. By some estimates, there's enough ectomycorrhizal mycelium in three square meters of forest to wrap around the earth at the equator. Mushrooms, fungi, it's everywhere, and in fact, it actually works with the trees of the forest to keep the ecosystem healthy and vibrant. And they can be processed to extract the protein for use in other foods. So you don't have to eat the mushrooms. Right. EMF are incredibly nutritious, whether eaten as fresh or dried mushrooms or in some other form. They're low in cholesterol and carbs and high in protein, micronutrients, and vitamins. So we feed millions and, at the same time, remove carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. And improve the health and diversity of our forest ecosystems. Professor Thomas thinks that this practice can scale and could be a realistic path to food stability and CO2 reduction. Yeah, he sounds like a fun guy. (laughs) Right? I had to. Let's recap what we learned today to wrap up. Researchers have developed a new process that uses solar power to turn plastic and CO2 waste into two valuable chemicals, one that is key in developing sustainable fuels and another that is widely used in cosmetics. The innovation could help us reuse some of the 400 million tons of plastic we produce each year. It's not your colds that are getting worse, it's your memory of how bad typical colds are. After years of pandemic isolation, we are getting reacquainted with an old friend cold and flu season, but it turns out it's the same as it ever was. Professors at the University of Sterling have found that growing mushrooms in newly planted forests could not only feed millions of people worldwide, it could also sequester a significant amount of carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. Curiosity Daily is produced by Wheelhouse DNA for Discovery. You can follow our show wherever you get your podcasts, and we would love it if you could take a second to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Did you know there's a lost city in the jungles of Cambodia? On Expedition Unknown, Josh Gates takes you around the world as he investigates some of humanity's greatest feats and most iconic legends, like the lost city of the Khmer Empire. As a member of the Explorers Club and with a degree in archaeology, Josh Gates is an all-out adventurer. From jumping out of planes to deep sea diving, there isn't a mystery he'll shy away from. Listen to Expedition Unknown wherever you get your podcasts.